Well, good morning. For those of you that uh, are new to FBC, my name is Don Dunhartog. I'm pastor of biblical education here at Fellowship Bible Church. And also, if you're a first-time visitor, we're going to be doing something totally different. So if you don't like it, please come back. And uh, we're going to do this for the next two Sundays, today and next week. And then um, our senior pastor will be back. We're also having a missions emphasis the week after uh, this thing is done. And uh, But anyway, uh, this is just something quite unusual. In fact, I've taught this uh, for 35 years, um, This what we're going to do today. And this is the first time I've ever done it during a morning worship service. So uh, this is new to me, too, in that regard. Um, vacation Bible School is something we do here at Fellowship Bible Church for children. So just look at today as kind of the adult version of Vacation Bible School. Something a little different, something a little uh, fun. And, uh, but yet I hope that you'll find it to be profitable for you and helpful. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll get started. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today and for each person that has come. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who enlightens us, who guides us, comforts us, convicts us. And we invite um, with open hearts his ministry this morning as we take this panoramic view of your word all pointing to your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, in about 1960, so a long time ago, there was a man who developed a creative way to help people memorize uh, the events of the Old Testament. Now, not all the events, but just to get kind of a bird's eye view. Um, here at this church and many churches, when we study the Bible, we get into the trees, so to speak, of the forest. We get into the details of the various passages of Scripture and the various books of the Bible. But sometimes you need to kind of get up into a helicopter and see the forest and see the big picture, and that's what this is about. What you're going to see today is going to have a variety of benefits to the people here in this room based upon your own background. For some, you're going to be able to help put together the Bible stories that you know at least some of, but you're not sure of the sequence of them. You know about Moses, and you know about Noah, and you, you know about uh, different things. You'll know about Nehemiah and so forth, but where does that all fit? How does that go in order? And so the next two weeks, that's going to help you do that. For others of you that you already have that pretty well down pat, you're going to benefit by the fact that you're going to learn a method a method that you can use to help instruct others. This type of study actually is done most of all in the context of a living room. Uh, small group Bible studies have, have used this for years. And this is something that I think a father and a mother can use to teach their children, grandparents with their grandchildren, friends with friends, uh, relatives, etc. I'll tell you the history for myself is that when I was 16 years of age, my brother, who's eight years older than I am, he was my best male friend then, and he remains that today. He came home from seminary. He wasn't married yet. He was single, and he came home for a Christmas break, and I was just kind of sprawled out on the sofa, and parents were in bed. It was 11 o'clock at night, and he just said spontaneously, you want to learn the Old Testament in about 30 minutes? I said, sure. And he went through what you're going to learn today and next week. He went through both sessions, so at one evening. Since that time, every time I hear an Old Testament story, I'm able to put it in its historical context, what I learned as a 16-year-old teenager. And that's what I hope it benefits at least some of you today. Again, some of you, it's going to be learning a new method. For others, it's going to be learning sequence. Uh, whatever be the case, I know it'll profit you. There's three M's that we uh, remember in this walkthrough. First of all, we realize that it is a, uh, it's a memory, it's a method for the purpose of memory, for the purpose of seeing the main events or some of the main events of the Bible. So what I'm asking you to do is that this is designed to strictly 
help something get cemented in the mind. So we're going to ask you on an honor system not to take any notes, not to write it on your iPad, put all that down, because the more you write down, the less it'll get in your memory now. Now, when we're all done, I'm going to go ahead and reveal a secret. We will make hard copies available for people who need that reminder, but not now, okay? Now here's what I also would like you to do. I forgot to announce this last night, so I want to get it done before I forget. Practice it this week, and the more you go through it, the more it will cement. And for those of you that can do it with somebody else, if you're married, you have a spouse you can do it with, or a friend that you can do it with, that's better because what one forgets, the other remembers. And um, you can kind of combine those things together and try to get it all down pat. All right? So this is a method for memory of main events. All right. We're going to, first of all, there we are. I don't have this on my pad. Can somebody help me on that? Um, it's not coming up. <laughs> okay. I always need a technician nearby. <laughs> Last night it was Mike Lukens. There we go. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. All right. All right, here's the map of the Old Testament area. Uh, this is always in the news now because this is where so much happens today. You have, in this location, you have a number of different countries that uh, if we put an overlay on there of Turkey and Iraq and Iran and, of course, Israel, Egypt. This is the land of the Old Testament. And what we're going to do today is we're going to transfer that visual map to an imaginary map on this platform. So the closer you are the better you're going to be able to see this. So I am going to give you permission that while we're going through this, those of you that want to fill up these seats, come on up. Don't be shy, because the closer you are, the better you'll see as far as the, uh, the distance of it. But anyway, um, i got to back up here. I'm sorry. Anyway, we're going to transfer this map from there to an imaginary map here. All right? Now, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to memorize some of the key places, and then I'll transfer that here on this floor. So look at the map, everyone. First of all, I want to show you where some main bodies of water are. And of course, up, up here, we have Mesopotamia, where the Tigris and Euphrates River is located. Down here, we have the Red Sea, and you know about that with Moses crossing the Red Sea. Here we have the Mediterranean Sea. And down here in Egypt, we have that famous river called the Nile. I keep going back, losing it. Okay, Ashton, we apologize for this. Yeah, I'm, okay. She, he said just watch that bottom part. Keep your big mitts off of that. All right. When you have tree trunk fingers, then uh, it's a little hard. All right. Up here we have a small little body of water called the Sea of Galilee. And then down below is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the face of the earth. It's 1,200 feet below sea level. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And so the river that flows from the Galilee to the Jordan River, or to the Dead Sea, is the Jordan River. And the word Jordan means to descend. And so it's descending from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. So those are the main bodies of water that we want you to memorize. And we're going to go through that here in this map. Let's do it right now. These people over here are going to be, uh, they're in a boat uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, and they're looking this way. So this is the Mediterranean Sea. These folks are in Egypt, where the Nile River is flowing north, which it does. It doesn't flow north to south, but south to north. The Red Sea is located right here. And up here is the Tigris and the Euphrates River, with the Sea of Galilee about here, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. Okay, So we're transferring that to here. Now, let's look at some other places. 
We're going to put a mountain right here called Mount Sinai. So when Moses takes the people of Egypt through the Sinai Peninsula and crosses the Red Sea and goes to Mount Sinai. We're going to look at another mountain right here called Mount Nebo. We'll get to that later. We're going to look at a little city there called Ur and another city up here called Haran. We're going to say it's Haran, and the word Haran means barren. So we're going to call it Barren Haran, okay? Then this area right here is the land of Canaan. And then what we have in this area here is the wilderness area. Today it is divided into two sections. One is called the wilderness of Zin, and the other one is called the wilderness of Paran. Now, I'll be explaining a little later today about some of the features of that wilderness, but in the Old Testament, it was just called the wilderness, all right? So, as we transfer onto this map, we have Canaan right here, we have Egypt there. Jeff Dahl looks like a good Egyptian. You really do. Okay, all right, good. The Egyptians are over there with the Nile River. Okay, we have... Um, Mount Sinai is going to be over there, which we'll talk about a little, in a little bit. Mount Nebo is going to be right here. And this whole area, which is right here, this is what is called Mesopotamia, but it's also called the Fertile Crescent because that's the location of those two rivers that uh, bring life to that area. Okay? So that's our map. Now, we're going to go back to the map in just a moment because when we start our walkthrough on this imaginary map, we're actually starting in Genesis chapter 12. But before we go to chapter 12, we want to learn just the very, very basics of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And we're going to remember those chapters by just a few words, okay? So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we're going to learn um, just the very basics. So if I was to ask you, what took place in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and you had to summarize it in one word, what would that word be? Right, exactly. Chapters 1 and 2 is about creation. Now chapter 3, we have something bad happen. The woman is tempted by Satan. By the way, it's interesting, she is only called the woman until after she eats and Adam eats and God speaks to them, and then she is called Eve from that point on. But prior to that, she's only called the woman. Now, that's very important, and we'll talk about that later this morning. Now, she's tempted. She eats. She gives to her husband. He eats. Sin comes into the world. And what we call that is we call that man fell into sin. So we call it the fall of man. Man falls into sin. He disobeys God and sin enters into the world. So chapter 3 is the fall of man. Now when you have sin, you have death. And Cain kills Abel. And now we have jealousy and all the things that sin brings. And it brings the first murder. And Cain kills his brother Abel. After chapter 4, we have what's called a genealogy. A genealogy is when there's a listing of the generations. So so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, etc. And that brings it down. Chapter 5 is all a genealogy and lists the various years and the amount of time that they lived, etc. So that's a genealogy. Now, chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, we're going to summarize in one word. And, of course, the main character of those chapters is Noah. So we're going to characterize those chapters as the flood, the universal flood under Noah as he built the ark, his family was saved, and, of course, the people of the world at that time were destroyed. Chapter 10, we have a second genealogy. Now, in chapter 11, history moves on. If those of you that are here today that you've studied anything about ancient Near Eastern history, you know what the term ziggurat means. These were towers that were made for religious purposes in order for people to uh, worship, etc. 
At that time, man was united because they all lived in one location. So they were able to synergize, so to speak, all of their intellect and their abilities and their talents, and they were going to be like God. And they built this tower that was called later the Tower of Babel because God intercepted their attempts. He ran interference, and he comes in before they can complete their project, and he confuses them by instituting the various languages. And all of a sudden, miraculously, they are speaking in languages that they can't understand each other, which forced dispersion. So now they scatter across the earth, which God intended. So that is called the Tower of Babel. We use the word Babel, meaning, uh, you know, uh, words that don't make sense, and the Tower of Babel takes place in chapter 11. So we want to put this to memory. Let's go back. Genesis 1 and 2, we have creation. 3, we have the fall of man. 4, first murder. 5, genealogy. 6 through 9, flood. 10, genealogy. And 11, Tower of Babel. All right? Let's all read it together. Number one and two, creation. Three, four, five, six through nine, ten, eleven. All right. Now, one and two, three. It's falling okay. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's perk it up. I want to hear this better. Let's start over. One and two. Three. Four. Great. Five. Six through nine. Ten. Eleven. Four. What's that? First murder, good. Seven. Flood. Eleven. Two. Three. One more time. One and two. Three. Four. Five. Six through nine. Ten. Eleven. And that is great. That is super. You did a great job on that. Now. We're going to go and we're going to start our walkthrough. And here at the lower end of Mesopotamia, we have the city of Ur. Now, every time I point like that, that's a specific location. If I do something like this, we're talking about a general area. But here in the city of Ur, we're going to remember the event that takes place here, the main event, by the word salt. Now, salt is something that we use to flavor our food, and we taste the flavor with our tongues. So I'm going to touch my tongue to remember the word salt. So here we are in Ur, and we have salt. Now, what does salt stand for? S stands for Sarah, Abraham's wife. A stands for Abraham. L stands for Lot, that's Abraham's nephew. And T stands for Terah, that's Abraham's father. So in the city of Ur, we have salt. Everybody? Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terah. Now, God promises three things to Abraham, because God is going to bring redemption and salvation to mankind, and he's going to choose a nation, make a nation, that he's going to bring that about. Eventually is our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order to make a nation from Abraham, who had no children, and who was old at this time, and he was really old when he had his son, he and Sarah had this son, but God promised him three things. Abraham, I'm going to make a nation from you, and there's three things that have to, have, that have to have happen. Number one, they need land. If you're going to have a country, you need a place to put the people. So the first is land. The second is seed. Now, in the Bible... The word seed can often mean a people, generations that come. Uh, when we think of seed, we think of uh, putting uh, seed into our gardens or 
farmers that are planting their seed, but seed is for the purpose of multiplication, right? Well, that's true with humanity and procreation. So seed is that he's promising Abraham, from you, from your very body, even though you're old, I'm going to make a nation of people, and it's going to be massive in size. That would be a hard thing to believe as an older man. But God promised him land and seed. The third thing that he promised him, he says, I am going to bless you. I am going to bless you beyond your imagination. So he promises them land, seed, and blessing. So here we have in the city of Ur, we have salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, and Terah. And God promises three things. Everybody? Land, seed, and blessing. Abraham believes God, and he begins to move his family. And the first thing they do is they come up here to a city called Haran. And Haran, as I've said, means barren. And one thing happens here at barren Haran, and that is Terah dies. He's out of the picture now. So Terah dies, and Abraham and Sarah and Lot are left, and they start moving south. As they move south, now we have Lot taking off on his own. And we still use this term today when somebody goes off on their own or they leave or whatever, we'll say, well, that guy split. We're going to say Lot splits, okay? So Lot splits, and that's how we're going to remember that. He splits, and he goes off on his own. Goes on down in this area. So now we have Abraham and Sarah left. And as they go into the land of Canaan, Abraham fathers two sons. And both of the names of, their, of his sons begin with the letter I. So we're going to remember his sons by pointing to my eyes, the two eyes. The first son is Ishmael. And the second son is Isaac. And of those two, which did God say the seed would continue through? And Isaac, okay? So we have the two eyes. We have Isaac and Ishmael, and Isaac is chosen. Now, <coughs> Isaac has two sons. Now, the first son that was born, they were twins. But the first one born, his name is Esau. This guy has a lot of hair. Well, Esau was hairy. And we're going to call him Harry Esau, okay? And I'm going to remember that by the hair that was on his arms. So I'm just going to do this to remember Harry Esau. But Jacob was not a hairy guy. He was smooth. And he was smooth in more ways than one. Because his, word, his name, Jacob, is the Hebrew word Yaakov. That's what the Hebrew pronunciation is of Jacob. Yaakov means guile or deceit. He was a master liar. And he was always trying to connive his way, and God took him through a process to cleanse that from him because he was always seeking to protect himself through deception. Well, Jacob, therefore, we're going to say he was smooth. Now, on Father's Day, the day before Father's Day, my son Brad gave uh, his dad, myself, a gift, and the two of us went to a barber shop, and... Um, I looked at the credentials of these people. There were four of them. They all had certification, which I was glad because Brad gave me something I've never had before, and that's what's called a straight shave. They come out with a razor that long. <laughs> and you particularly want them to be very careful when they get down in this area, you know. And so I had a straight shave for the first time in my life. You know, the hot towel, the hot lather, the whole bit. And I came out of there, and I had never felt such a close shave. I didn't shave for two days because it was such a close shave. It was so smooth. So we're going to remember Jacob as smooth Jacob, okay? But he was smooth in more than one way. Who's chosen out of those two? Yeah, the, the one that you wouldn't think is chosen is Jacob. God always does things in unusual ways and shows his grace for one thing. And so Jacob is chosen, and Jacob has 12 sons. And we're not going to remember all 12, so you don't have to sweat this. 
but we're going to remember two of them, and that's the youngest, who is named Benjamin, and the second to the youngest was named Joseph. All right? Now, Joseph was favored by his dad, Jacob. And Joseph was the object of his brother's jealousy. And they did something not so good. But before we go there, let's review. Here we're in the city of Ur. We have Saul, Sarah, God promises three things, land, seed, blessing. They come up to the city of Baron Heron, everybody, here's the city of Baron Heron and Teradise. Lot splits. Two eyes. Isaac, Ishmael. Let's do that again. Comes down, two eyes. Isaac, Ishmael. Who's chosen? Isaac. Two sons. Harry Esau, smooth Jacob. How many sons? Twelve. The youngest is? Second is, and Joseph gets beaten up and sold to a man named Potiphar. Now, how are we going to remember Potiphar? Well, on our stoves, we have pots, don't we? So we use pots to boil water. We use pots to cook our food, vegetables, etc. And we're just going to remember Potiphar by the word pot. And so I'm just going to do this, kind of representing a pot, okay? He gets sold to an Egyptian named Potiphar. So now he's down in Egypt, and he's put as a servant, and he does really well, and Potiphar likes him because Potiphar is prospering under the very things that he delegated for Joseph to do in his being a servant. Well, it goes downhill because Potiphar's wife gets a little bit too friendly with Joseph. She lies about it. Potiphar ends up putting Joseph in prison. And we're going to remember prison by this, just bondage, okay, like handcuffs or whatever. So now he's in prison, and there he sits. But God gifted him to interpret dreams. And he interprets the dreams of a butler and a baker, and through that, Pharaoh gets wind of his ability to interpret dreams. He takes Joseph, and through the interpretation of a dream... He releases Joseph from prison, and not only does he do that, he gives him a very high position in the Egyptian government. And so now, you talk about a Cinderella story, he goes down from imprisonment all the way up to a high position in government. Now, one of the phrases, at least my generation, maybe this uh, is, is outdated now, but whenever we talk about somebody that has a high position, like they're a CEO of a company or maybe have a high ranking in the military or have some kind of clout and power, et cetera, sometimes we'll say, that guy's a big wheel. You know, That's, that guy's a big wheel or she's a big wheel. Well, we're going to remember Joseph became a big wheel. This is what he, he became a big wheel, all right? Now, while that's happening, his family is up here. They're ready to starve because there's a famine. Now, with his brothers and their wives and his dad and and all the kids that were born to his brothers, there's now 70 people. And those 70 people get invited by Joseph eventually to come on down to Egypt where there's food. Now, I don't watch this, although I admit I've watched it a few times in my lifetime because it's been on for decades. I think, it's, I think ever since Noah got off the ark, Bob Barker started the show, The Price is Right, okay? And what is the number one phrase, if you've ever watched The Price is Right? It's still on today. Come on down. That's right. So he says to his family, come on down, for The Price is Right. It's free, actually, for them. All right, so he invites 70 people to come on down to Egypt. So let's do that. He invites them, and he says, you can do a little louder than that. There's several hundred people in here. Ready? Come on. That's good. Okay. 70 people. Now listen, they become two and a half million people in 400 years. Now there are three 400-year periods to remember in the walkthrough, but today you only have to remember the one. There's two more next week. 400 years, 70 people multiplied to two and a half million people. Now the pharaoh of Egypt is a new pharaoh, and he does not feel comfortable about so many people. He's afraid that they could overpower the Egyptians. 
So he masterminds a plan, and he decides to put the Hebrew people into slavery. So we're going to remember slavery with a whip, okay? And they have to work for him, and they are in bondage under slavery for 400 years, and it's miserable. So they call out to God and say, God, please deliver us. And God hears them, and he brings a deliverer, and his name is Moses. And Moses comes up to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. Let my people go. He says, no. Well, God intervenes. He does something that um, was localized. He brings plagues, but it was only for Egypt. Now, for those of you that study Bible prophecy, these are a type or a precursor to what's going to take place worldwide in the future. The book of Revelation tells us about these things. Let's remember some of those plagues. If you know the story of Moses, don't have to do it in order, but what are some of the plagues that, that uh, were performed then? Blood. Anybody? What's that? Blood, water to blood. The Nile River, their life source, turns to blood. Okay, great. Anybody else? Frogs. frogs. You know, it just blows me away about the frogs because last night we had two sessions. Tonight, I mean today, here, and one of the first ones that everybody says is the frogs. There's something. You guys like frogs in Virginia here? I don't know what it is about frogs, but you bring that up. But that's true. They were in the beds. They were in the sink. They were in everywhere. Okay, so yeah, frogs. What else? Locusts, all right. Anybody else? Flies, right. Somebody else? I'm sorry. Boils, that's correct. These, these uh, massive growths on their skin that was extremely painful. Uh, darkness. Uh, by the way, just a little side note, did you know that every one of those plagues were not just random plagues that God brought? Every one of those plagues represented one of the gods that Egypt worshipped. And that's what God was doing. He was showing himself to be the true God, overpowering the gods of Egypt. So now we have ten plagues. Ten plagues, and we're going to remember them that they were just very difficult, irritating is an understatement, and we're just going to remember them with this sign. Just ten plagues, okay? Something that was just miserable, all right? So we have ten plagues. So let's go back over here. Baron Heron, Terra dies, now what? Lot splits, two eyes, Isaac, I mean, excuse me, you're right, Ishmael, Isaac, who's chosen? How many sons? The first, Harry Esau, the second, Smooth Jacob, how many sons? Youngest, second, Joseph gets sold to, gets put into, becomes a? Big Will says, come on down. 70 become how many? Two and a half million. And how long? 400 years. These people get put into slavery. A man raises up by God, and he says, I bet you he said it louder than that. You ready? He says, that's really good. And Pharaoh says, no. And God sends Ten plagues. Moses comes back and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, go. Get out of here. So they cross the Red Sea and they come over here to Mount Sinai. We're going to remember Mount Sinai as a mountain like this. And here at Mount Sinai, God gives them the law. And I'm going to put my hands out like this to represent two stone tablets that God gave them the Ten Commandments. That was just part of the law, but it's the part we remember the most. The Ten Commandments, but we're going to call this the law. There's a lot more other laws that God gives. Now, we're going to take a little time out here just for a moment. Two thousand, or uh, About uh, 1,400 years later, this holy mountain of Mount Sinai there was another mountain now that was holy. As God came in his presence on Mount Sinai to meet with Moses and give him the law, there was another mountain, and it was called the Temple Mount. 
And God came there too. But he came in a different way than most people thought. He came in the form of a person. And that person was Jesus Christ. And one morning, Jesus was on that temple mount. He was in what is called the court of the women, but that mount, that area is still there today. In fact, when we're in Israel, I always like to go to that area where the court of women was located to remember this story. Here's what happened. These people come and they throw a woman down before him. We caught her doing adultery, committing adultery. The law, the law says to stone her. What do you say? Well, Jesus does something peculiar. He bends down to the ground, and it says that he began to write on the ground with his finger. Now, that's pretty interesting. Most of us, when we study that passage, we say, I wonder what he wrote. But John, when he wrote this story, he doesn't want us to wonder what he wrote. He wants us to see how he wrote. Because 1,400 years earlier at this mountain, when God gave Moses the law, it says, and he wrote it with his finger. And now Jesus is writing with his finger. Back here, Moses comes down from the mountain, sees the people committing idolatry, which included adultery, by the way, the Bible tells us that they rose up to play. That's the Hebrew expression of committing adultery. So they're doing what she was doing. And Moses came down, and he was so upset, he took those tablets, and he crashed them to the ground, and they scattered into a thousand pieces. And later in time, Moses goes back to meet with God, who gives him another set of tablets that he wrote, that God wrote. Back here, 1,400 years later, he kneels to the ground and he writes with his finger. Then there's a pause in the action, and then it says, and he wrote again. What's Jesus showing these people? Don't tell me what the law says, because I'm the one who authored it. I'm the one who wrote it in the first place. I am the Yahweh, the great I am. I'm the one who met Moses and gave him the law. Incredible story, in my opinion. It just fascinates me that God was present on this mountain in the person of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Moses receives the law here. Now let's go back to the Old Testament. What takes place is they say, we got to go get, get, that was promised to Abraham. That's ours. Let's go get that. God says, you bet. You go get that. That's my promise to you. You go get that land and you take it from the Canaanites. That's the land I promised to you. So they send 12 spies, 12 spies, and they come up here to a city located about right here, and it's called Kadesh Barnea. Now, we're going to remember it by Katie's barn, okay? Katie's barn, or Kadesh Barnea. Can you say Kadesh Barnea, everybody? Kadesh Barnea. Last night, both sessions, it was a little, we stumbled on that term. It was a little bit hard for them to remember. So, Kadesh Barnea. Everybody again? Kadesh Barnea. Good. Twelve spies come up here. They come back, and ten of them say, we're not going back there. No way, Jose. They're, they're, they have giants up there. They're huge. There's no way that we can conquer them. We're not going. Let's, let's stay put. And two of them say, no, let's go because God is on our side. And we're going to remember these two men by their initials because their initials are the same as Jesus Christ, J and C. You have Joshua and Caleb. Those are the two that said, we can do it because God will help us do it. Well, what happens? Who do the people believe? The ten or the two? 
they believe the 10. And that goes to show you this. Throughout biblical history, not only was the majority not always right, it was usually wrong. The majority is usually wrong. And you know what? That's even true many times today. So many times we measure whether something's right or wrong by how many people support it. Well, God's always looking for people who will stand up against the current. He's always looking for people of faith who will stand up because of their faith in him. Well, these people didn't believe the two. They believed the ten, and so God sent them into the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years, during that time, everybody under 20 years of age lived, and everybody over 20 years of age died. So if you were 21 when this all happened, the most you would have lived is to be 40 or 61. That's the most. Probably not even that, because they died during that span. So during that 40 years, everybody over 20 died. And God took a new generation, everybody under 20, to take them eventually into the land. Now, we're almost done. We're almost done with today. Next week we go farther. But let's start from the very beginning. Let's go review, and then we'll finish out the last conclusion. Ready? All right. Start nice and loud, everybody. The louder you are, the faster we'll go. Okay? Ready? Genesis 1 and 2. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. Eleven. Tower of Babel. Good. Okay. You don't fade away on me now. Here in the city of Ur, we have... Salt, Sarah, Abraham, Lot, Terah. God promises three things. Land, seed, blessing. They come up to the city of? Baron Haran. Terah dies. Lot splits. Two eyes. Ishmael, Isaac. Who's chosen? Isaac. Two sons. Harry Esau, smooth Jacob. Who's chosen? Jacob. How many sons? Twelve. The youngest is? Second, Joseph gets sold to, gets put into, becomes a, says to his family, they come down 70 to how many? In how long? Pharaoh puts them into, a man named Moses says, and Pharaoh says, and God sends, and Moses says, and Pharaoh says, and they cross, and they come here too, and God gives the right. How many spies? They come up here too. Oh boy. I thought you were better than last night, but no, no, no. Something about that term trips us up. Okay, ready? What town? Good. Ten come back and say, two said, and they are? Okay, say it again. Joshua, Caleb, right. They believe the ten, so God sends them to the? For how long? Forty years. Now, they eat two things. God provides for them. Now, I told you I was going to tell you a little bit about this wilderness. Years ago, back in 2006, I was taking a class in Israel, and I had the opportunity for our professor took us down to the wilderness area. He forced us out of the bus. This is in June, and the Middle East is extremely hot in the month of June. And he put us out into the wilderness for a half hour by ourselves individually. And it was extremely hot and uncomfortable, and he wanted us to experience the wilderness. Not only was it extremely hot, but it was extremely rugged. And I'm talking not so much about uh, mountainous features, although there are, there are some of that, not mountains as we know them, but hills. But what's really evident is how rocky it is, and the rock, it's, it's sharp stuff. No way could you walk on that stuff barefoot. It's just sharp. It's like, it'd be like walking on glass. I don't think, and I remember hiking uh, one year, 
Um, this was long before we moved to uh, Fellowship Bible Church. And I was hiking in an area that was, um, that had rough ground. And, uh, but I was, I was hiking in tennis shoes. I didn't have hiking, I wasn't wearing hiking boots. And they were comfortable enough, but the rugged ground, uh, by the end of seven days, my shoes were pretty much shot. I don't think that the most expensive pair of Nikes could last more than 10 days in the wilderness. I don't think so. Extremely rough ground. But what does God do? For 40 years, the people's sandals do not wear out. He miraculously provided. By the way, that means every individual sandal he had control of, and that's a reminder, he controls every one of us as individuals, not just as a group of people. He controlled every individual sandal that people were wearing and was able to go for decades without wearing out in that rugged, rugged terrain. Well, he also provided food. And the first food he provided is this. One morning they get out of their tents and the ground is covered with this uh, flaky stuff. And the first thing that they said, this is no exaggeration, they said, what is it? You know what the Hebrew word for what is it is? Mana. And that's what we get the word manna from. So they come up and go, what is it? And they begin to eat it, and it tastes well, and it provides nourishment. And so God provides, what is it? <laughs> he provides manna, or manna. We'll say manna like we normally do. So he provides the manna, and we're going to remember manna this way, like we're popping a pop, piece of, a kernel of popcorn into our mouth. So we're going to remember manna like this, and then he provided birds. How many of you, I know some people are a little shy of guns, I'm not. Uh, I go hunting. How many of you have ever hunted quail? Anybody here? Okay, there's a number of you. Okay, I have as well, and gotten a little bit of that. I'm mostly pheasant hunter, but quail are, are small little birds. And uh, the type of quail back in uh, 1400 B.C., we're not sure exactly what they looked like, but uh, there were so many of them that they were able to capture them out of the air. And they had quail. And we're going to remember quail like this. So they had some meat, and they had what might be wafers or bread type of, of um, substance. So they had manna, and they had quail. Manna and quail. Now, one more event to remember. This event takes place about right here on the side, on the east side of the Jordan River. It's at a mountain. This is the second mountain to remember. And it's called Mount Nebo. And we're going to remember it by the word knee and elbow, or Nebo. Okay? So we're here at Mount Nebo. And that's where Moses ends up dying. But before he dies, he preaches his last sermons. And I'm going to use this as a sign to remember his last sermons that he's speaking. Five sermons that he delivers to the people, and that is what the book of Deuteronomy is. The book of Deuteronomy in the Bible are his, <coughs> excuse me, his final sermons to the people. He comes up then to Mount Nebo, okay, or I should say Nebo, Mount Nebo, and he dies. Now, Mount Nebo gives a very wonderful uh, panoramic view of the nation of Israel. Um, during that same time as in the wilderness area, we went into Jordan and ended up at Mount Nebo to be able to see what Moses saw. And on a clear day, you can see the majority of the nation. Because the nation's not that big. 60 miles wide at its widest point. So you see the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. You look up north where the Galilee is at. And he sees the land, but God did not permit him to go in because of something that he disobeyed God in. But he comes to Mount Nebo and dies. All right? Now, the rest of the Old Testament that we'll look at next week 
Joshua takes over, and let me go through it real quick. You're not going to memorize this today, but this is what's coming next week. Goes to Jericho, wipes it out, goes to AI because it, and lost because Achan stole the bacon. Then they had a central campaign, a southern campaign, a northern campaign, and then they had the period of the judges where they had Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. After that, the last judge and first prophet was Samuel. He anointed the first of four kings, Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam. Rehoboam raised the taxes. The kingdom splits. Ten tribes go north, two go south. The north is called Israel. The south is called Judah. The north is ruled by Jeroboam. The south is called, ruled by Rehoboam. The north falls into sin. Assyria comes over in 722 B.C., destroys them, wipes Israel off the face of the map. Judah falls into sin. God raises up Babylon. 586 takes them captive back to Babylon. Seventy years later, three men come back to Israel to rebuild the country. Whew. Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall, and Ezra rebuilds the people. And the Old Testament closes, and 400 years later, in the city of Bethlehem, we have the birth of Christ. And that's what you'll learn next week. Up to now, we want to look at all the way up to Moses' death. All right? Now let's do this real quickly, out loud, and then we're going to do it silently for you to test yourself. You can find out how well you did, and then we're going to close it up. Ready? Real, let's go a little faster this time because of time, okay? Let's go a little faster, nice and loud. Ready? Here we go. Genesis 1 and 2, 3, 4. I think I'm going too fast, okay? First murder, 5, 6 through 9, 10, 11. Here in the city of Ur, we have... Saul. God promises three things. Land, seed, blessing. They come up to barren heron, tarred eyes. Who's chosen? Two sons. Who's chosen? How many sons? Youngest. Second. Joseph gets sold to gets put into, becomes a, says, 70 become, and how long? They get put into, God raises a man named, he says, Pharaoh says, God sends, Moses says, Pharaoh says, crosses the, comes over here to, God gives the, how many spies? Comes up to? What is it about Kadesh Barnea, okay? Comes up to? Kadesh Barnea. Ten come back and say? Two say? And they are? They believe the? Ten. So they go out into the? For how long? And they eat? Manna? Quail? Moses does what? How many sermons? Okay, Moses does what? Preaches five sermons, okay? Moses preaches five sermons, comes over here to Mount Nebo, and he Wow. There you go. Okay, you did it. Give yourself a hand. Okay, now I'm going to go through it real. I'm going to go through it silently. I'm not going to say anything, and I don't want you to say anything. Just do this in your mind. Okay, real quickly. All right, so just do it in your mind. Test yourself how well you have it. And again, go home, practice it. Practice it with a friend, a spouse, a child, whatever. Get it nailed down here. Because when you need it sometimes the most, you're not going to have your notes with you. You may not have your Bible with you. But if you get it down up here um, and keep on going, that's the goal. That's why it's a memory method, all right? All right, now we're going to start with Genesis, and now we go. There's a couple times I'm going to interject and say something, uh, but uh, most of it not. Okay, we're starting with Genesis 1 through 11, then we'll go. Ready? <laughs> Some people think out loud. Yes, okay, that's all right, that's all right. Okay, ready?
How many people came down? Seventy become two and a half million in how long? Okay, there we go. I bet you don't get it right now either. How'd you do? How many are happy with how you did? Okay. How many of you are kind of happy with how you did? How many are disgusted with how you did? Okay. All right. All right. We have just a few minutes left. I want to wrap it up by saying this. I was uh, born again at 11 years of age. And from that time on, I... Um, I, uh, I was interested in the Bible, and my mom did a phenomenal job in reading us the Bible stories, even long before I trusted Christ. So I knew about Daniel and David and Goliath and all those stories. I've been studying the Bible for a long time, but I want to share today that I really believe and can honestly share with you that I feel... I've just scratched the surface in seeing how these Old Testament stories are pointing to a man. There are some things that are obvious that are definitely pointing towards Jesus Christ who would be coming centuries later. But there are other things that I didn't see for years and years, and slowly they are coming about to show us that these stories were all pointing to a man. By the way, I'm going to make a little advertisement here for you. If you're a parent, or if you're not a parent, buy a little book. It's a Bible story book um, by Catherine Lloyd-Jones called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is so good, I bought one for my theological library. So if you go into my theological library and you see all these language books, blah, 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 you're going to see a children's Bible story book. But she captured in every Old Testament story that she writes about, she always shows how it relates to the Messiah that was coming. It's a fantastic storybook, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, back to this. It's all about him. There's one story that takes place that is very obvious to us because Jesus made reference to it. It took place during those 40 years here in the wilderness. And the people were complaining, and God in his discipline sends serpents. Now where else do we see serpents in the Bible, or serpent? Well, the Garden of Eden. Satan came in the form of a serpent, and then eventually, of course, through that encounter, sin enters into the world. And serpents come, and they bite the people, and the people are dying. And Moses cries out to God, and God comes back to Moses and says, Listen, make a brazen serpent and put it on a pole and raise it up and tell the people this. If you just look at it, you'll live. If you just look at it, you'll live. Well, that serpent represents sin. And you know what the Bible says about Jesus when he died on the cross? Paul, the apostle, said it in Galatians. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took sin's curse upon himself and paid for our sin. He, pray, he paid for our curse. And so Jesus said this. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember the song, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done, So Loved He the World That He Gave Us His Son. The vilest offender who truly believes, now listen, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Israel, if you look at that pole with that serpent, one look, you'll live. Jesus said, those who look to me with a moment of faith for eternal life will live forever. If that's not been your experience yet, all you have to do today is simply believe that he is the son of God. He paid for your sin in full. The moment you believe that, you have eternal life. He rose from the dead, verified his sonship, and for the rest of us who have believed before today, we have a message to tell people. You can use the Old Testament stories, and then you can point them to the one who it's all about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for our spiritual history as recorded in the Bible. We most of all thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the assurance of eternal life that we have in him. In Jesus' name, amen.